Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies to the Narwoods this episode are Josh. We are going to blow your minds with some cosmic lore, man, and gnarly woods. <laughs> we are. <laughs> this is Eric, and when Honorio Vintalix first told me about the trees that uprooted themselves to stalk their prey, I thought his claims were Oaklandish. <laughs> I'm Aaron, and the gnarl oaks bite when you sleep at night, deep in the heart of Gur. And in this episode, we cover the lore of Warcry, Heart of Gur. Uh, whether you've got bullhorns or swamp stilts, the ravening ruin calls to all, and we're here to distill whatever lore we can from the newest expansion of Warcry. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight, fellow bloated ones? Oh, I'm feeling saturated. <laughs> I, I just had dinner and I'm full. Um, also, also your your pun would have worked ending with Talaxis as well. Deep in the... <gasps> Oh no! Deep in the heart of Talaxis. So is it worth changing? I don't know. Yeah, just go say, do it again. Do it again. Just do it again. Deep in the. Anyways, okay. Solid, solid, solid. Uh, I'm I'm doing better. In fact, both worse and better at the same time. Having, having heard that, yeah. it's a journey. Yeah. So, guys, uh, if eagle eagle eared listeners, that's not the phrase, uh, may notice that um, we have a returning uh, returning star of, of I was going to say screen and stage, but really just podcast, podcast period. Uh, this in, podcast. That, uh, in this particular podcast is that Eric is here chatting hey. more with us. Hey. How fun is uh, that? It's, uh, it's, been, it's been a couple of years since I've been on the episode, on, on the uh, the Mortal Realm story phase. I'm glad to be back talking war cry. We're glad to have you. Um, and so, uh, I mean, in my life, Eric never really left, but it's been yeah, it's been a stretch for the fo- the sole listeners of of the story phase oh, for sure. War cry as well. Yeah. 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 Oh, have, have you well, not been on one yet? He, he uh, has been back, but but it was a long break for work. Yeah. Yeah. True. 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 I was definitely listening to those episodes. I've still been talking, though, in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Just no one's listening. Yeah. It's a void. <laughs> um, right on. We have a great story phase. We're going to be talking about uh, Warcry uh, Hardiker, and it's going to be fantastic, and everybody's going to love it. But before we get to that, um, we're going to let's start the way we always do, and that we'll talk about what folks have been up to in the hobby. And given that Eric's out of practice, I'm going to ask you first, Josh, um, what, what, have, uh, what have you been hobbying on uh, that you want to tell the fine listeners about? I have been devouring all the most recent Warcry knowledge possible. Uh, definitely that. Um, I have been working in the meantime. I've been working on a Wendigo-themed Beasts of Chaos warband for oh, the anticipation of Gur. So I've got my, my leader built, and I've been getting models to prepare the rest of the warband so that's that's ongoing um i'm also assembling another warband which remains secret at this point in time Ooh, secretive i love it <laughs> all right so eric that's how you do it you talk about the things that you've been hobbying okay. on recently and so i don't know if you've been hobbying lately but if you have i'd love to hear about it um let's see so i have not been uh modeling uh if i've talked a little bit about on the war cry episodes for so for those who haven't uh, been on there um, I have updated my blog on uh, themortalrealms.com uh, a bit over the last couple of months. So kind of just trying to uh, document the little the units that I have for the different warbands, et cetera, and having fun doing that. Um, I've done a little bit of 3D printing. I uh, got into that earlier this year. And so 
Um, my biggest limiter is the computer I use for it is sluggish. So uh, I don't get as much, I don't get to work on, on the, the 3D side of it as much as I want to. Um, but trying to put together some uh, 3D prints for Warcry tables and for some of uh, events in the future. And then um, uh, recently got to, got to play some Soulbound uh, with my buds uh, here yeah. at home in person. So I had a little... Oh. Had a little tw- twelve-hour sesh, uh, <laughs> a quick flash in the pan sesh. Yeah, just real quick. It was, it was awesome. Uh, it was uh, good stories, good characters, mm-hmm. and just num num num. Uh, just that's also a spoiler for my character list. It was awesome, um, and uh, yeah, so it was it was a lot of fun, uh, and I hope we get to do it again sometime in the next year. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've been doing a little hobby, uh, and then yes, re- reading up on on uh, the new uh, Warcry stuff that's uh, out for pre-order um, and uh, enjoying it. Uh, really excited for this this season. Awesome. Um, all of those things definitely, definitively qualify as, as hobby in, in my book. Um, and for those, yeah, for those, uh, for those interested, we did, in fact, record the Soulbound uh, session that we ran, all 12 hours of it. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> there will be a point in the future where that gets released. Will I make any promises as to when that will be? Absolutely not. I would never do that. But one day uh, on, in the future, on, yeah, one day in the future, unhailed, uncalled for, uh, you may get a glimpse of what we did. If enough of you bug him on Twitter or the discard and say, hey, where, where is that? If it, There's a certain number at which you get it done. Right. Sure. I mean, Threshold. that's that's absolutely true. I don't don't know what that astronomically high number <laughs> must be, but it exists. Everybody's got a number, and I've got one too. You know, so get your friends together. Uh, you know, pull together a campaign, hire a Russian uh, bot, <laughs> and uh, you know, ask Aaron to edit that soulbound. You got there. You got there eventually. <laughs> Perfect. Um, nice, nice. And then, uh, as far as how he goes on myself, guys, I finally finished. Assembling all my daughters of Cain. What a, what a glorious day. Well, thank you. I saw those pictures. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they are still obviously in their gray plastic form, but I even went out and bought them their own little plastic tub tote box thing, perfectly sized for uh, the n- number of models that I had. I affectionately placed them in that box. Uh, I looked at it from all angles just to just to see just get a glimpse of you know the different perspectives that the best perspective perhaps yeah exactly then I took that box and I put it on the highest shelf I have completely out of reach uh, out of sight and out of mind and moving on to the next thing um, so then I've, I've started assembling some more of my Sylvaneth stuff What's the Lady of Vines uh, Lady of Vines specifically oh. so I'll finish up what was in the oh god what's it called Echoes of, Echoes of Doom box and uh, that too will go in. We'll, we'll bolster the Sylvan X box that I've already got running. So that's uh, that's my foreseeable future. Probably for the next eight, ten months is probably how long that will take me. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, all right. Probably. Any other things that folks have been working on that they want to chat about? No, uh, not a one. Because we're getting very close. We're getting so close to that story phase. Dear listeners, hang on for just a little bit. Just a little bit longer because it, real quick, I want to I want to sneak in some plugs for the moral realms here before before we go too far. So. Uh, uh, let me remind you, I know you all know this, but I'm going to remind you, um, you can find more episodes of this podcast and all of our other Mortal Realms shows at themortalrealms.com. You can email us your feedback, any feedback, any and all feedback, good feedback to me, bad feedback to everybody else, uh, at 
moralrealms at gmail.com. Send us an email. We love getting emails. We get so excited. Dear, dear Aaron, please edit a soulbound podcast. <laughs> we just we just set you up with a template, listener. It's it's just right there. It's uh, we served it up ripe for you. Um, you can also find our Patreon at patreon.com slash the modal realms or themortalrealms.com slash Patreon uh, to put, to support the show. Uh, and in doing so, you can get early access to uh, episodes of this show, The Story Phase, uh, and then also get access to semi-exclusive content like The Pocket Realms, which are short story phases hosted by Davey and myself. And so that's where most Pocket Realms go to live uh, and spend their days. Um, so if you want to get more Pocket Realms, which are those short story phases, that's where you're going to want to be. You want to be on the, the Patreon. Um, and if it turns out that you can't or just flat out don't want to pitch in monetarily, just which is totally use. fine. Yeah, just just obstinately won't do it, uh, which is A-OK. Um, then yep. head on over to your podcast service of choice uh, and give us a review, which would be super helpful because I think it helps with like discoverability. Or that's what the internet tells me anyways. I guess I don't know for sure. Uh, or... Uh, if you don't even want to do that, which seems like a lot of work, I, I hear you. Uh, you could just go ahead and tell a friend about the moral realms, and they'll probably thank you. Or you maybe make a lifelong enemy. It's, it's like a crap shoot. I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, I can't. I make no promises. That's something that'll last a lifetime as well. So oh, it, right, it could. It could. Yeah. Uh, we're all about longevity on the moral realms. Um, all right. That's all I had to get out of the way. Sorry about okay, that. Well, I apologize. One more bit of legalese. Thank you, Games Workshop, for giving us a review copy of The Heart of Gur, so that we can put this podcast together and share it with other people. Absolutely good call, because I absolutely forgot to bring it up at the last episode, probably the episode before that, maybe the episode before that one, too. So good job, Josh. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. Um, and so with that, what a great segue into um, our story phase. Um, normally, the story phase blurb in blue is read by Paul. Does anyone here want to read it, or should I just do it? I, I could Thank do you. it. Yep. Yeah, please hey, do. Eric, this man. All right. All right. <laughs> Crack the neck. Crack the neck. I'm going to do it in the voice of uh, <laughs> Spitzle. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. Oh, no, Paul. Oh, gosh. Your wow. job's on notice. Wow. Um, that was delightful. So, hey, Eric, what, what voice were we hearing right there, might I ask? Well, that, that was the voice of my uh, Soulbound character, Spitzel, uh, uh, the man-eater man slash uh, firebelly. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, he likes to hunt himself some uh, endless spells. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. That's part of the spell goblins. The endless spell goblins, yeah. Founding member. Uh, yeah, and so shall we all. Um, all right, so we're here in the story phase. We're going to talk about the Heart of Gur, which is um, the box set for Warcry. So basically, it's not only the newest, um, I don't know, expansion to Warcry, but it's more than that. It's also a hearkening or a harbinger of a new edition of Warcry as well. And so with that, we expect that, we expect that there are going to be all sorts of juicy stories and lore in there, and we are going to unpack it here. But before we do, I think it's probably worth trying to catch, I guess, the listeners up, but in some ways, maybe even catching Eric up on what has yeah. happened thus far in the story that maybe informs um, what's going to be going on in this book. And to that end, I'm going to write out the gate, coming in hot, coming in fast, with a listener question who who, who touches on a very thing uh, that that very theme, I guess. And so uh, hmm, I'm losing my momentum here, but I do want to bring up, hey, hey, listeners, if you want to ask a question um, here on the show, and if you want to get right out of the gate, um, have me read your name before most people have stopped listening to the episode. Here's what you got to do. 
uh, is you got to hang out in the Discord server. You're going to hang out in there every day. You're going to hang out there all day. And you're going to wait for me to ask, hey, does anybody have any questions that they want us to bring up on our on our show, on our podcast, The Mortal Realms? And then you think, yes, I do. And you'll post your question and I will read them and I will copy and paste them into our, our show notes here. And then I will bring them up uh, on on the story phase, which is what I'm doing right now for our friend Tyrio. Uh, and they ask, how has Broken Realms shaped the journey to the now? which Tyrell knows and, and we know and you will know soon that, yes, a lot of the most recent stuff as it relates to um, the story of the Moral Realms and also Warcry stems from the things that have occurred in Broken Realms and the events that followed. And so I ask you guys, what's happened recently in the story that might in some way contribute to the story of what's going on in this box set? Uh, Josh, do you have any ideas? I do. Uh, so... The the story that's presented in these books for the the heart of Gur, um, it talks about the uh, we'll get, get into more more detail, but it talks about the ship crash landing in Gur hundreds of years ago. So so the Gnarlwood and everything else, the existence of this area has been here for quite a while. However, uh, the stories of the Broken Realms have shaped the. Um, you know, with with Alarial's rite of magic and the, the the culmination of life magic, pursuing you know, kind of expanding throughout the realms has invigorated the spirit of Gur, and and some of those effects have uh, kind of pushed people towards this particular area, and also encouraging other factions to enter Thondia and Gur itself, um, where all the action has taken place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Eric, I don't know how closely you've been following the latest events in um, Age of Sigmar in the, in the mortal realms. Um, I've tried to be, I've, I've listened to a lot of uh, this uh, great podcast called uh, The Mortal Realms mm, uh, and try to keep up with the um, the different, like Kragnos and Alarial. I, I don't think I've gotten to this uh, Alarial life right, right of life uh, yet. So. I'm, I'm here. T- tell me a little. Give me this, the cliff notes of it. Sure, sure. Um, to which Josh's point is that um, uh, so you're you you were around. When we were talking about the Necroquake and sort of that that time where Nagash mm-hmm. was was on ascendant. Um, Soars. So, yeah, exactly. So Teclas got fed up with that at some point, um, and they mano a mano one v one each other, and Teclas got the upper hand, and in some ways he. he not quite banished Nagash, but might as well have, um, thus defeating him and, and really ending that time of, of death. Uh, Alario steps in. She says, all right, well, what's the opposite of death? It's going to be life. The the world's, the realms are a mess and I'm going to do something about it. And so she crests this big, all-encompassing, uh, life-themed magical wave, in some ways the antithesis of that necro uh, quake, negating the, the death magic that had permeated the realms. But lo and behold surprise surprise that also had unintended consequences and then it invigorated and re um reawoken a lot of latent um things across the realms the realm of Gur being being one of them and uh it was already a wild and tumultuous place but it has only been um you know more fervently um awoken and we're seeing a lot of that uh play out in this age of sigmar 3.0 time frame where a lot of the camera is being focused in gur these days which i think is one of the reasons why um this box set is also taking place there as well so that that makes sense too i I think i picked up maybe at at craig I probably didn't go back far enough to, to catch the right of life is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and, and it's actually the right of life is what woke Kragnos up as well. So that yeah. is uh, maybe a driving factor to some of that. Um, 
we're also seeing, and it's less related to Lario specifically, but we are seeing um, the the outsets of uh, these Dawnbringer Crusades, which are um, crusades uh, headed up by the cities of Sigmar or followers of Sigmar at the very least, um, alongside you know Stormcast and other Azirian aligned um, forces, uh, where they are going out into the realms um, and founding more beachheads. They're be- they're being more proactive and expansionary uh, in the realms. Um, which is a, you know, in some ways a, ch- a change of pace. Um, but then again, in some ways it's not a change of pace because we were already founding city- cities for, you know, years and years before that. But um, yeah, this is more like, uh, like con- trying to conquer the frontier sort of feel. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That's a good way to put it. And I bring that up because that actually in some ways is a driving factor to the story that we're telling in this box as well. Um, is there any other historical context uh, that we want to bring up? again sort of looking casting our eyes backwards in time um, before we reach this book at all i don't think so okay because i'm gonna i'm gonna tie this up with a bow with a couple other listener questions that are all on the same theme of course uh so um, a patron of the show klaus ma a patron and friend of the show i would say um but they ask uh, is there an overarching tie between broken realms uh, the 3.0, the Season of Warthandia, Warcry. So that's a bunch of different products that have come out in a relatively short succession. And by that, I mean over the course of a couple of years. Um, they continue. Uh, I believe we saw hints of the tie-in of the games in Broken Realms Marathi, but I don't think it was built upon. So what he's saying is that there was connections between Broken Realms and um, other Warcry uh, pr- products. Is there any co- direct connection between those stories in this book? That's part of the one part of the question, but then Mealhern, also a listener, uh, asked the question: Are there any links to the season of War Thandia or the? I believe he's talking about the GHB here. So basically, they're asking: Are there are there direct tie-ins between those stories and what we're seeing in this book? And um, if so, ought we talk about them? But I don't know that there's as direct tie-ins as maybe what they're alluding to here. I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think they're. There, there's no direct tie-in. Uh, there are certainly consequences of those other stories which have impacted. For example, there are parts of the story that talk about, um, you know, individuals who've had, um, you know, uh, curses of changing into beasts and things like that, which is part of the, you know, the war of the Gond in Thandia, where the, the rising of the spirit of Gur is causing this um supernatural change of people into beasts and you know so they do reference that in the book in terms of you know some of the the areas are are dealing with you know the the dawnbreaker crusades are dealing with these rise of people changing into beasts um it also talks about the people flux you know influx into this region because of the the rise of primal magic and 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 the energy the the wall and the 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 denizens of the realm that are going out and fighting more but again i I don't think there's any direct correlation between the story and what's going on in this particular place so yeah i think i think there's loose ties or or thin ties like Mm -hmm. with each of the factions and how they're approaching it uh you know why death is here ties to um you know the state of nagash Right, right. Um, so I think there, there's definitely ties, but it's not the main theme. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we're kind of shifting to look at this, um, some of the things that exist here and the secrets behind it. And I think that uh, gives some other things time to shine. I think 
or maybe the other stuff that we've been hearing to cool off a little bit and uh, uh, kind of seed for a bit. And now we're kind of moving to a new new idea. Uh, I do think that, you know, with the, the era of beasts and the rise of Dawnbringer Crusades, as you mentioned before, Aaron, that does kind of tie into this because it's one of the reasons that this whole um, area has exploded in, in interest, I think. Absolutely. And that's a, it would be a good segue if I didn't want to sneak in one more question from Tyrell, who was um, who just brings up it's related, but they want to know, um, did we have any hints that we were coming here? Here being the in Gur and in the Gnarlwood. Um, was there any indication, you know, ahead of time that we could have gleaned that this is where we were going to end up? Do you guys have any thoughts about that? Um, personally, I did. I don't think we had any hints that Warcry would move here. It certainly felt like Age of Sigmar was having a focus in Thondia with, uh, you know, the battles of Kragnos and Excelsis. And then they came out with the, the Thondia book, the Seasons of War Thondia. So it certainly felt like, okay, we're going to focus on Thondia for a while for Age of Sigmar. But uh, I don't think we, you know, myself, I don't, I didn't see any hint that Warcry would be moving to this particular area, although we had already done so in, in some yeah. of the, the games that we'd put together. Yeah, I think my my read or hope had been that you know, like we're we're working ourselves around the trivial pursuit pie of uh, the eight points. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like that we'd gotten, uh, you know, the first, you know, pie, piece of the pie, and that we were just going to kind of go around and see other pieces of it. Um, so it was, I think it was really unexpected for us that we were going to be moving out of the eight points for Warcry, but I think it, I think it, I'm excited to see what it opens up. And um, from a rules standpoint, there's a really clever thing of saying, "Hey, when you're in this place, here are some rules sets, and when you're in a new place, we can change that up a bit and play things a little differently." So I think that's kind of yeah. cool. I, I think it also, it's also interesting because in Broken Realms, Marathi, it it, it kind of plays off of some of the events that we had in Warcry. Um, so the fact that Warcry has moved to the same location as the rest of Age of Sigmar is kind of nice that we're tying the story all together in some way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, you guys have answered every, you've answered completely the way I would have answered. So I have nothing to add. That's exactly what I would have said. So I've mind go. Yeah, yeah, you, you're done good. <laughs> so instead of repeating what you just said, I'm just going to carry on. So Josh, you had a great segue. You're brought up the uh the dawnbringer crusades and we talked about why it's important to this story but might i ask why why are the dawnbringer crusades to what we're seeing here definitely so the, as you had mentioned the dawnbringer dawnbringer crusades are kind of like these expeditionary forces that have decided to try and go out and establish a new outpost in the realms which is currently so overwhelmed with chaos and unknown um, areas that that you know the order you know the alliances of orders is trying to continue to spread their influence um so uh, one such dawnbringer crusade uh, was led by anario von telex and um while you know they had a series of unfortunate events they did eventually make their way to the center of the narwood and discover telaxis he was the only one to escape but he did escape with a variety of unique artifacts and he began telling the legend of Talaxis. Um, and uh, this spread amongst anybody that was, you know, associated with uh, the free cities. And, um, and also Nagash was listening through souls of the people who died searching for these places. And, and chaos worshippers heard about it. And, and so this legend of Talaxis just continued to spread throughout the realms where people realized there was, hey, this is a really interesting place we should go check out what is here 
for sure. Um, and so now we've got two different, like, or I mean, a couple, but a, a two different to me, um, I guess areas or, or components to this region that are definitely worth talking about. We've got uh, Talaxis, which is this this crash ship that we're going to talk about, and then we've also got the Gnarlwood, which surrounds it, right? So the Gnarlwood is the woods, and then Talaxis is the ruins in the center of it. So let's let's go out, let's go on outward in. Um, so let's start with the Gnarlwood and talk about what we're seeing there. And so to that end. Um, uh, another listener questions. We're chock full of them today, guys. Uh, uh, patron of the show, Dog Tired, they ask, uh, what is the ecosystem of this Gnarlwood? What is it really like? Is it a temperate forest? Is it a jungle? A mixture? Um, and also, furthermore, what sets the Gnarlwood apart as being different from the surrounding countryside? And so what a great place to start. Let's literally talk about what this place is made of or what it looks like. And so um, we've got our woods. You've got a forest. That can't be that scary, right? Um, they're they're uh, a walk in the woods. It's peaceful. It's serene. Um, there's nothing to be afraid of at all. Just kidding. This is a woods in, in Gur. Um, what do you guys know about the Gnarlwood that you want to share with the, the listeners? So the... The ecosystem of the Gnarlwood is kind of left a little bit in the air. It talks about that the, the weather is um, changes quite a bit, that there, there tend to be some storms around uh, the ruin itself. But uh, it can be very warm, and then you can get sudden downpours, which the rain is so difficult that it can knock you unconscious You know, at certain points in time. So it, it's hard to tell whether it's uh, more jungle or not. Because it really just talks about that this particular region is, um, we'll say, inhabited by gnarlwood, gnarl oaks extensively. Um, and, and these yeah. particular trees are carnivorous, and so they will consume their prey. But the, the gnarlwood itself is also inhabited by a huge variety of predatory plants and animals. And uh, as I went through this book in the Rotten Ruin book, I came up with 22 specific named creatures and or parasites, plants or whatever else that potentially live in this region. And, and I'm sure there's more. Just real quick, I, I just wanted to add to what you were saying about the about the, the ecosystem or whatever. And we'll get into it in a minute. But the reason why the, the, gnarl, the gnarlwood is here is because um, of, I, guess, I mean, it's hard to say without, it was created based off of the jungles that the uh, Seraphon inhabit and only to uh, a, a triple, quadruple to the 10th degree uh, out of control kind of growth. So the, the feeling I got was a lot of like Amazonian, um, but with a lot of, but also like oaks much are much more like north northern hemispheric trees um so it's kind of this it's definitely a, a mix and like i think you could have any form of jungle you might you might want in here from uh you know um you know solid ground with you know tall trees to you know like very murky um rivers waters all that kind of stuff marshes etc yeah, the mixture of like t them talking about the weather and like the rain and like the heavy rains and then also talking about like the oppressive heat that comes through here as well really made me gave me a jungle vibe. But then yeah. to your point, Eric, yeah. it's like a jungle, but also is full of oaks, um, which is a, a juxtaposition there a little bit. Yeah. Though, of course, yeah. they could just be they talk about the canopy, too, which is, you know, you definitely talk about canopies and creatures and canopies in a jungle set of stuff. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, Josh, you, you'd mentioned your long list of, of beasts. Beastiary. Yeah, I want to know what some of your favorites were. Wow. Uh, I mean, we've got a huge list here. Well, I'll tell you hey, what, I'm sorry. Yeah, before I go, I got, not only do I want to know, Tyriel Ty wants to know as well, or to be, maybe put it a different way, they ask, uh, <laughs> what non-creatures can we expect from the heart of Gur? Um, sorry, Tyriel, there's too many, cre it, it's mostly creatures that we can expect it, from the heart yeah, of Gur. So exactly. that, that's what we're going to Well, and it's Gur, like, isn't even the dirt a creature? In uh, sure, yeah, and <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, yeah. The rain was a creature, which is ridiculous. But yeah, <laughs> Each raindrop has teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, what's worse? Uh, I, I want to know what the winged rachnids look like. I mean, you know, that's just like right, uh, Paul's alley. I can imagine. Oh, I bet. Nice. Yeah. So, do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to give us first just a read through the list of their names, and then we can pick out a few to to kind of. Uh, kind of unpack a little bit more i i can do that i can do that it, you know it's, it's a long list but like i said okay so we'll start with thornspine leonox you know it's a lion type creature vorskalid has an acidic tongue narlox of course as you would expect sawtooth rataskas six rataskas Rataskus, yeah, that might, I think you're right. Yeah, blood wasps, shovelhorn, rhinoxen, impaler mantids, slimy slug bowls, winged rachnids, giant tentipedes, gurish flaghorns, the blood grook, an avian killer that lives in the canopy, giant uh, gut borer worms, which we you know the parasite, quite disgusting, flenser wolves, caracks. Flocks of scythe-tongued shriekers. Cardosaurs, as you might expect. Terrapins, which are kind of like crocodiles, alligators. Acid-spitting flowers. Of course, the mouth opening in the ground. Nice. Mm -hmm. Rottling lianas. And another variety of parasites. Quite a, quite a few different things here. Oh, man. Somebody I, just I, had I a field day just mashing words together. <laughs> uh, right, right. You know, this is like a vacation paradise for death. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to I know how long that list took for them to come up with. Was it something they rattled, <laughs> rattled off in like four minutes? Or was it um, like there's no wrong answers, just throw words out of dark? You just keep making stuff up, I think. You know? yeah, I guess. Right. right. There's no wrong answer here. <laughs> that list they worked on over the course of like a week. I, I mean, sure. I mean, gnarl oaks and garnox are all the same letters, just rearranged. So maybe they had a <laughs> one of those boards where they just see here's a here's a phrase. See how many different ways we can uh, yeah. rearrange right. it, uh, animals. Um, my favorite yeah. on that list, and by favorite, I mean demonstrably least favorite, is the gut borer worms because Ooh, those are these like yeah. minute, minute parasites that live in water. And like I'm, those parasites exist in the real world. I understand that. But when you drink it, like it grows at an alarming speed and then literally bursts out of your belly in a spray of blood and viscera. Yeah, totally an alien reference. Yeah, oh, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what is the large, what's the large version of the gut borer worm then? Does it become something else? Uh, I, I'm not positive. Maybe it's, it's one of the worms from Dune. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is how they start. Um, what what those, were the um, living spells? Um, <laughs> what uh, What are the wolves? The Vesplair? Yeah, they just call them Flenser wolves. You know, so Flen no other Flenser is a cool that. name. Yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously it's like flaying you apart somehow. Uh, is what it sounds like. <laughs> Tearing your skin from your body somehow. Yeah. There's a... I think there's a D and D wolf that's two dimensional, 
like if you can only see it from the side, but when you see it head on, you can't see it at all, and it'll just slice right through you. Mm. That's nice. All right. So suffice it to say, there is quite the flora and fauna here at uh, in the in the Norwood. But people uh, live here too. Yeah, well, yeah definitely. So, Li- yeah. Live and live and die, <laughs> and also to find people, I suppose. Um, but there, yeah, there are a number of places that they call out um, in uh, the Norwood. And to that end, uh, another question from Dog Tired, patron of the show. Thank you very much, Dog Tired. Uh, they ask, uh, "What do we know about the cities in Norwood? There are elven tree cities or fire slayer mold lodges." And to that, I would say not exactly, but there are different. Mm, yeah, I think locations. the only real city they talk about is the Canopy of Starlight. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of camps or encampments, um, you know, which which existed, and I, I think certainly the the quests in some of the books talk about particular city that you can do a, a campaign to try to take down, but um, in terms of the the main lore, they talk about the canopy of starlight being a in the center of the neural wood, um, around some of the segments of the ruin, the eye of Chotek. Um, it has some, you know, it has some remnant magic power that protects it from the the creatures around the area and the weather, and so they built a treetop settlement there. Um, and it's the only spot you can see the sky, which is why they call it the the canopy of starlight. Uh, you know, there are certain other areas, but yeah, I don't know if there's so much of a settlements in those particular areas. And I I wonder with that because they specifically mentioned the only place you can see Azir. I wonder if. Uh, the gnarl wood would be difficult for Stormcast to uh, lightning bolt out of. Between that and maybe the what was the um, the cursed skies? Yeah, very, very, very possibly. I think the cursed skies have spread to Gur uh, to some degree, mm-hmm. so that would definitely between the two of those things would definitely complicate uh, yeah. the transition for sure. Um, there's also that camp Fortune, which yep. although is not. Big, but uh, it, it, at what point was served as a camp um, for that Dawnbringer Crusade that had made its way into the Gnarlwood? But I do believe at this point it is abandoned and trashed, and there's just signs that folks had been here, but I, I don't yeah. believe anyone's yeah. currently yeah, there. Yeah, there are journals, and you know, the think, I think there was a second expedition. Yeah, the first expedition uh, found the um, uh, Talaxis, and then after going back and spreading the word, uh, they tried to do a second expedition. Uh, expedition got off course and it's it's in ruins now so whoops shucks better luck next time <laughs> i gotta say that in, in this in this section of the book um they they point out that uh you know the stormcast had come along and found some of the journals from the you know uh the the, the initial discoverer of, of talaxis and then that it seemed like he was going mad um and, and it was mainly because he was trying to find a way out, but because the Narlokes continued to move around, that none of the paths remained, and they were always changing. And I just loved that, you know, especially since they had – throughout the book, they had these little, like, little, um, you know, phrases occasionally on some of the pages. And uh, it was just great. You know, it kind of tied it all together. You know, one of them was like, all living creatures must sleep. You know, it's like because the gnarl looks, you know, attack the mortals when they're all sleeping. It was like yeah. it's a creepy forest, the creepy forest. <laughs> and if, uh, to be to be real clear, I think the um, the trees in the heart of Gur uh, box set are gnarl oaks. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think they might be dead ones because you can. They talk about you know sometimes the dead ones you can go ahead and build around etc. Um, but you can see that like each one of them is like stomped and killed something 
uh, and yeah. their skulls yeah. underneath them and stuff. So I think those are are dead gnarl oaks. Maybe they're li- maybe they still are alive. They do talk about gnarl oaks. Um, you know, they they feast for a while. So once they've had something to eat, they're, they're kind of dormant for a little bit. So it could be that they've eaten recently. But another piece of the lore also says that a lot of them have started faking being dead, so that foresters <laughs> will come along to try to cut them down, and then they get attacked. <laughs> it was like a recent development, apparently. It was like, oh my god, they're learning. <laughs> That's not good. Ogre. <laughs> Um, were there any other uh, highlighted places in uh, the Gnarlwood that you folks wanted to chat about or bring up? I mean, I love that uh, they say that, uh, you know, one of the um, uh, uh, factions that thrives here are the ogres because uh, there's nothing they can't eat. Uh, And so um, it's, but it's not, so it's not necessarily a problem for them to live there, but they keep digging these holes uh, to serve their, you know, kind of hungry master, but then the holes grow teeth. Um, and whether that's just, again, the land adapting and being like, okay, I'm going to eat, I, I have a hole here. I can eat something. Uh, or if it's, uh, kind of the way that their, uh, deity is kind of helping shape the land a little bit. So, um, mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. And they're in over in the eater pits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the, um, the, the tainted wound, um, it talks about the beasts of chaos are actually residing in that particular area because they think the Narrowwood is a burial place for an ancient mutant entity called the Soul Shrieker. So they, they make these sacrifices and, and uh, these uh, kind of flesh totems um, surrounding that particular area. And I don't know if it's to appease it or try to wake it up. They didn't really kind of go into detail about what it is they're trying to do about this flesh or, you know, the Soul Shrieker that lives in this area. Yeah, I tried looking up what the Soul Shrieker was, and I didn't get any hits. So I, it seems yeah. like it's a new thing. And normally mm-hmm. with these like offhand little comments or stories about other factions, I just chalk it up to, all right, well, everybody gets a, a little quick spotlight, and then we just move on to the next thing. But I found that the Beastman one like, was the only one that really highlighted a specific like named thing. Like It was more specific than some of the other very generic and like vague ones for the other armies. And given that we've already talked a little bit about... like hints that like beastmen are going to have a, a larger presence moving forward especially with season of warthandia and how they played a role in that story like the fact that this part was specific made me think that this was there was more to it than this like that this was worth noting and so i'm glad you brought it up because i, I noted it as well as that was particularly mm-hmm. interesting i wonder yeah yeah definitely and they do they, you know i think people have seen uh, they've shared online a particular map of the region which has got a different uh, few few different locations kind of noted on the map a variety of different uh, cultures you know soul bound or, or not soul bound i'm rather soul blight um you know corn you know they got the was it the uh, skin slow fen which i think the the rotmeyer creed uh, you know come from but mm-hmm. you know this i got this place called the great Stinkhorn, which is this mountainous mushroom where the gets live um you know so they have a variety of different factions already kind of um labeled to the area so it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that but, plays but out. nothing specifically dwarden or elvish so no no uh, i agree to, yeah. to yeah. dog tires question yeah, um, yeah, and kind of, kind of throwing back to the dog tired's uh, question about the ecosystem. He he did, or he she did ask, what sets the gnarlwood as being different from the surrounding countryside? And um, I, I think you know the, the things I picked up on is that you know after the 
the ship crashed in this particular area. It, it, it says it destroyed everything within a hundred miles of the particular you know crash site. But it, it also because the geomantic engines sponsored this huge growth of plant life, and um, and for whatever reason, it seems to stimulate predatory creatures, their growth and their aggression highly. So, you know, this particular area, the Gnarlwood, you know, the trees are aggressive. There's a huge population of predators and they're all super aggressive and uh, they reproduce quickly. They heal quickly. So the, you know, the whole area is, is, is very dangerous. You know, Nar you know, Gur itself is extremely dangerous, but um, in terms of the lore in this particular book, it talks about this area being even more so because there seems to be some sort of predatory intellect that's really, you know, kind of in the ruins, but but this geomantic energy has created this extra aggressive fauna and and uh, you know and animal life to protect it. So it, it, it's dangerous to try to get close. Um, I have, it, I just think it's funny sometimes where we are in a realm that is uh, chock full of things that are constantly trying to kill you. Literally every aspect of it from the weather to the ground or whatever is, 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 is after you and trying to hunt you. And then to amp it up, if it's at a 10, to amp it up to 11 because the, the Illyrio's life magic has uh, reinvigorated and like um, uh, uh, frenzied the realm of beasts so that, oh no, it's, it was bad before, but now it's even, now it's even cranked up to a higher <laughs> level and it's trying to kill you. But wait, 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 that's not enough. If you go to these woods, if we were at an 11 before, we're now at a 12 because of this, um, this ship that crashed and the, the magical engines are, are making it even more aggressive. There has to be a limit. Like there's only a, there has to be a point where it's right, just, right. you can't turn it up any higher. Um, because every every new thing that comes out seems to try and to like be like no 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 this is really the epitome of you know ferocity. Well, so here's what I think: you step into Gur and you get base level. Everything's trying to kill you. Uh, then you move to the Gnarlwood, and everything is trying to kill you. And those things are also trying to be killed. So it's like there's a second layer of uh, predation. And then you move to that one spot you were talking about, and it feels like. It feels to me like the lo island it lost where like, you know, polar bears spring up and you're like, what is that doing here? <laughs> like there's something there like that, that is trying to hide something really important. And it's like making it crazy dangerous. Yeah. Um, or even if it's illusionary. Um, but it also just to say there's a very clear distinction between the Gnarlwood, what's in the Gnarlwood and, and where it's outside the Gnarlwood. And that's where a lot of encampments are and people, you know, set up. Um, yeah. So. So there's sort of like everybody knows where it starts. It's pretty clear where the trees get bigger and meaner. Uh, and they, you know, they send people in to go treasure hunt. They send people in who are disgraced to, to die in there. Uh, they go in after people that have died for their, you know, cool stuff. Um, so there's a lot of like sitting on the outside, daring other people to go in. And I think to your point, Eric, um, you know, some of the lore even mentions that, you know, well, you know, this ruin has been here for hundreds of years and, and that there are beasts of chaos, warbands and and primal orcs, as they, they reference, that have known how dangerous the Gnarlwood is and they live in and around it and they don't go in it. And it's only since this legend of all the treasures in the center has, you know, grown that we see this influx of more and more war bands coming. But, you know, the people who've lived here, they're like, oh, no, you don't go into the Gnarlwood. We know it's a bad place. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that also gives poignant to the use of the term crusade, 
um, as we'll learn, like the Sylvaneth have been here all along. This was their land before the you know this thing crashed. Uh, it, the the ship itself belongs to the the Seraphon. They're just trying to freaking figure out how to get this stuff out. Um, and then you got everybody else going. Oh, I guess we'll go and take it for ourselves. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a little much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a great. We, I mean, alluding to we, we've danced around Talaxis for a while now. I think maybe we should we, we should spend some time unpacking that one. Um, so uh, to that end, we've got another question from Tariel. He's got some. They've got some great ones today. Uh, what do we know about the crashing Dino ship? Uh, so to that, I'll ask. Hey, what do we know about the crashing Dino ship with this this Talaxis, the the ravening ruin? We know that it is uh, among. Uh, the the Seraphon void ships, it was one of the largest uh, or in their largest category um, because it, it wasn't a battleship or there to fight. It was there to, to go and land and create these um, uh, spaces in the realm for the Seraphon to um, assimilate. And I forget what the term is between the, the Seraphon that have come to, to land and the ones that are staying up in the void. Uh, do you guys remember what that's so called? So there's the coalesced are the ones that are, are land bound. They've okay. coalesced into like flesh. Yeah. So this is ship is here to that it was created to be able to this type of ship to terraform a space so that some seraphon could become coalesced seraphon. Um, but uh, not only is this one of the larger ships, it also contained a lot of relics uh, from the old ones. Um, and so this, it wasn't just any old ship. It seems like it was a pretty important ship, um, to the point where I think even the Seraphon on the ship didn't know what all these relics did. Uh, you know, so the, the Slon there, most intelligent being perhaps in all of the realms, didn't know what, what some of these, uh, relics, uh, were. And so it indicated that they traveled far and wide to gather these relics. So like, you know, other planets, other realms, wherever but it wasn't just from the world that was yeah uh so and it was called the eye of chotek um uh so talaxis no no that's uh what some uh puffy shirted uh um uh, city of sigmar human yeah. uh named it but the eye of chotek was its uh, original name um and some there was a there was an explosion um and i don't I, can, I don't remember exactly what the explosion was if they alluded I don't think there's a lot of details around it. I don't think we know. I think it's it's purposely yeah, left it, unknown. It's, it's hinted. There, there, there are lots of parts of the ruins which have this iridescent flames and Zinchian demons dancing around it. So there's some speculation that Zinch has something to do with the crash of the ship. There you go. Because they want the artifacts. Or maybe they just want you to think that they had something to do with it. Which is yeah. equally as likely, know. honestly. Yeah. So. <laughs> Never know. Uh, but it's it just... Zinchian. But it uh, it could not uh, it could not stay aloft in the void, and it crashed down into uh, Gur, and uh, uh, and and that's that's its history up until it hits the ground. But then, yeah. So uh, it it crashing then I think triggers or, or makes its terraforming um, engine go haywire, which is we've talked about why why it has done what it has done to the surrounding region and to the the gnarlwood as well, um, and then what it is essentially does is spilled open its vaults to open air such that um, the, the innards could be discovered by you know wayward uh, travelers, which is sort of what we've been talking about from the Dawnbringer Crusades and then the rumors that um, stemmed from that from you know the discovery of uh, 
uh, to Lexus. But not um, easily. Oh, no. Not not easily, because uh, despite the fact that, you know, it's in some ways inoperable at this point, um, there are still plenty of defense mechanisms, one might call, protecting these very valuable and powerful artifacts. <laughs> um, although maybe no one's inherently, you know, manning the defense, you know, manning the guns, so to speak. Um, right. And so uh, there's a fair number of traps um, that are, you know, uh, still in operation uh, currently. Yep. And, uh, yep. you know, uh, if just because you can navigate the Narwhal does not mean that you'd be able to easily navigate your way through um, the Ayatotech either. So they use this term techno arcane treasures. Um, I'm going to describe one of these treasures. You tell me what from popular culture this might be. Ooh, okay. uh, uh, forges objects from light. Uh, the Star Trek, um, like when they beam you up, right? Aren't you light and then you turn into an object? Yeah, or the, the or replicators, the, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, the replicators. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a restorative crystalline pools. Uh, that could yeah. be like Fountain of Youth. Star Ooh, Wars or Back to Tanks. Uh, uh, vaults that move you from uh, one part of the ship to a distant part of the ship. Yeah, that's teleporters. Also yeah, yeah, yeah. Beam me up thing. Yeah. Um, let's see. Impenetrable fields of celestial energy. Forced field, baby. There you go. And my, one of my favorites, dancing beads of light that can slice you in pieces. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lasers. Laser fields. All right. These guys, uh, I mean, yeah. Do we, do we pass? Pretty advanced. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was nice. Yeah. Oh, well done. <laughs> uh, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, I like the... the They've got wars that can blast the soul out of your body. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, there's not in the night haunt. Yeah, that's a one way ticket to the night haunt. There you go. <laughs> but, my, but my soul belongs in my body. That's where it lives. Um, yeah. So yeah, they talk about trying to get through the impenetrable narrow oak wall around the ruins, and then oh yeah, you're here. Guess what? It's still not safe. <laughs> I mean, this is a perfect place to run some soul bound or to. The next silver or uh, hammer or what do you call it? Hero quest, um, right? You know, whatever. Like this, this is ripe for uh, you know, a cool old game of of you know, treasure hunting and trying to get through the traps and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you guys have any other uh, Talaxis or Ayatotech or Ravening Ruin thoughts before we carry on? Um, I, I just had a, there was a blurb in the book, which is probably more, um, meta in terms of like, you know, what they're planning to do for the season, perhaps, mm -hmm. but it talks about expansions and terrain sets will continue to lift the veil upon the undiscovered areas of the gnarled woods. So I, you know, I get this vision that, um, there's a story where we're starting, okay, we're starting in the gnarled woods. We're starting outside it and we've got some quest arcs that maybe take us towards Talaxis. But as we get more and more expansions in this season of Warcry, maybe we'll get closer and closer to the ruins and we'll get more and more pieces of the, you know, of the Ark ship. And uh, maybe we'll get more traps in our games and maybe we'll get some other sort of interesting yeah. aspects of that. So that's, that's kind of how I envision this story progressing. Uh, I find it very exciting. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, great terrain uh, in the Seraphon, uh, you know, style, but also, yeah, like teleporters where, you, could, you know, we've already got like in catacombs where you set up, a, you know, like that one um, object that's sort of got like a, a grate at the top and you can mm -hmm. appear there, right? Why couldn't we have, you know, set up two tokens and you can move from one to the other? 
uh, when you step through it or something like that, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah, definitely. We've talked about for a long time how they're having different, um, uh, just even a piece of terrain that lets you move differently when you're within an inch of it or something like that, you know? Um, lots of fun that could be had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there's no reason to believe that this version of Warcry is going to be any different than the previous version of Warcry, in which we spent a fair amount of time in the Bloodwind spoil, right, between the r- initial box um, catacombs and then red harvest like it was repeated like to like dive deeper sometimes literally deeper into the ground um into that space and so like i i would bet money that something similar would happen here or at the very least it ought to so i agree yeah, yeah the only other thing i would add is that uh, in many different places it references essentially feral seraphon so you know there's um lots of of Seraphon that remain from the crash that are protecting the site. So um, I'm really interested to see how that plays out, whether we get some new war bands or we'll have some like, uh, you know, chaotic beast sort of rules for Seraphon or not. Um, that would be kind of cool to see. It'd be awesome to see Seraphon war band. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, actually, this is a good segue then into the next thing that we got here in the outline is that the book does take time um detailing well detailing is maybe a strong word but but uh giving uh glances at every single army in the game i'm pretty sure um and what would what would bring them could we say blurbing yeah blurbing yeah just a little bit of blurbing um for every army as to why or what would bring them to here um and you know their own version or their own impetus to to come and and seek out talaxis uh there's way too many for us to talk about all of them but did you guys have any favorites that you wanted to to bring up well, the untamed beasts, they say, are the most apt to come to the Gnarlwood, and I would agree. And Dark Oath Savagers, thank you. Well, yeah, those two. Uh, <laughs> but the untamed beasts were first, Josh, <laughs> on the list. Um, so it's it's cool because I've always, uh, I play the untamed beasts, and I'm like, oh, why would they leave uh, the eight points? But this fear calls them out and says, you must leave the eight points, son. Go go west, young man. Uh, well, they come from Gur. They come from Gur. Well, okay, uh, but anyway, the but chilling out here uh, is is uh, uh, they're right at home. So uh, that's cool. So that's one I liked in Out of Chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was going to say, I mean, to be the opposite, literally the downer to what you just said. Uh, the only reason they would be here, I think, the only reason they were included in the book is because they are the Gur the Gur. Ish of the original, yeah. um, whatever, because honestly, there's utterly no reason for them to be here whatsoever. They were already had a goal or like a thing to be doing in the eight points. Um, there are more planes runner like type folks in the in the first place, and literally the blurb at the very end um, d- details, you know, their their goals of of um, bringing down civilization and, and serving Archeon. And the last line of that blurb is, and the Narward seems as good a place as any to do just that, which is the equivalent <laughs> of saying no reason whatsoever. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think at this point it's important to mention that the lore, you know, as we talk about all the factions describes reasons why they might be there to gain power for themselves, find relics, whatever else, or just to destroy everything because it represents something they don't like. <laughs> Yeah, so not all of them are winners, basically, is what I'm saying. Right, right, right. They're not all there to get treasure. They're all there to, you know, maybe they're there to just destroy everything so nobody else gets it or because they don't really. So, but yeah, Josh, did you have any ones that you liked? Um, I'll, I'll do a throw out to the KO, uh, just because when I was reading through the lore, it talked about how the the ruins of the arc ship could be seen through the canopy, you know, that there's, you know, these... Uh, pyramid type structures and other things all sticking up from the canopy and i was like well why why wouldn't you just do 
uh, an aerial expedition and go find this place if you can see it from the sky. But you know, but later in the book, it talks about the the geomantic energies around the ship itself create these magical storms above the region. And and um, and the KO section talks about how some of these storms could knock ships out of the sky. They fall into the jungle, and uh, then they have to kind of you know preserve themselves until they fix the ships. And I thought that was kind of cool. You know, they're looking for this yeah. aether gold that's kind of rotating and, and, and circulating above the ruins, but there, you know, there's these magical geomantic storms as well. And they're trying to navigate that. And then, you know, if they crash that and they're trying to survive. So I thought that was kind of like, Oh, okay. That explains, you know, why this isn't the easiest approach to go, you know? So how'd you earn one of my favorites? And I'm sorry if I'm stealing one of the interesting ones, uh, I did like the Stormcast one, actually. And so, uh, Josh, you'd mentioned before, like, they'd gotten a hold of some of uh, the the journals of the folks that had come before, and and, and they um, were reading about the things that he had seen, uh, and, you know, what, like, tall tales or, or, like, unbelievable, like, miracles that he had seen in this, um, in this downed relic ship. Uh, but one that caught their eye was uh, the uh, Starforged chambers that seemingly could bring people back from the dead. And so that caught the attention of the Sacrosanct chambers who um, are already like spending a lot of time thinking about and trying to dissect like the reforging process and how they might improve it. And so if they had a chamber that could flat out bring people back to life, like maybe reforging isn't even necessary in the first place. And so that's a, a driving factor to get them out there to try and capture it and study it and um, see if they can get their hands on this, on this, you know, very powerful uh yeah yeah i like that functionality so i thought that was that that was a compelling one to me mm -hmm. an ongoing narrative about you know how do we improve this process so that we're not suffering you know each reforging yeah, that's kind of nice the lumineth have one where they uh they found a uh sorry not lumineth the ideneth found a uh soul chamber that was left running uh and they're siphoning off seraphon souls from it <laughs> yes found a leak yeah, well, I'll say, you know, in the, in the, the pools, right, you know, they continue to generate new seraphon. It's like, oh, this is, we got souls of plenty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just slip it up. Our well of souls <laughs> to just pull from it regularly. Yeah. yeah, the other one I thought was really interesting was the uh, the soul blight one where it talks about, yeah, the soul blight are here because Nagash thinks it's important and we're going to be here. But the savagery of Gur and the Narrowwood drives them so close to the, you know, unleashing their primal selves the veneer of civility would be gone and i thought that was an interesting struggle i thought that was really cool and as i mentioned nagash sees talaxis as a potential source for his resurgence mm -hmm. uh, so he's sending his uh his uh throng there uh, Eric, you'd mentioned you'd brought up the ogres before about the pits with the spikes and stuff, and how they they, they were made for this place because they just like eating all sorts of things. Did we mention the fact that they uh, are are happy to eat the gnarl oaks themselves, which I thought was uh, definitely we haven't yet. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the ogres are rolling up, and they're I mean, as you might expect, the only ones that could even attempt to try to try and eat a gnarl oak because gnarl oaks <laughs> not made of wood, but from like they seem as if they've been made like of some version of flesh or something like that. And so if it's even remotely fleshy, heck, even if it's not, um, ogres it's, are willing all, to yeah, snack on it. Wood. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, that is yet another reason that ogres seem to be right at home uh, here in the gnarlwood, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah, so as they break through the bark and they get to the the muscular flesh underneath, is I think it was the description. <laughs> yeah, it was a delicacy. Heebie-jeebies. 
Yuck. <laughs> I think it'd be fun to, to, in the new kit, we talked about painting them like flesh, right, or muscle right. and sinew and stuff. What if you cut one and uh, instead of like uh, rings, like you'd find a regular tree, it's just a, like a steak. <laughs> uh, the, the top of the blood dripping out yeah right like a t-bone or something <laughs> i like picture like the cartoon version of like meat Abba right and so, like, when you yep. cut it there's like the bone circle yep. like, the white circle in the middle of it <laughs> yeah yeah the white fat okay. around the edge look at mm. itself <laughs> Gross. Um, all right any other uh factions that you guys want to call out there's a bunch of them all right uh so as a final question to, to, to cap off our discussion about sort of the um, Norwoods and Talaxis and all that jazz, the setting, I suppose you could call it. Um, we had a couple questions about casting our eyes forward. And I think we touched on a little bit this, uh, this before, but we can circle back to it. Uh, two questions, one from Iron Pit. They ask, are there any hints for future war bands in the books? And then Akarian asks, uh, is the timeline move forward with the story of this new edition of Warcry? Both sort of looking or for any hints of things that we might've seen uh, coming down the pipe, uh, or Pike, I believe, uh, in this part of the, the things that we've read thus far, um, did you guys get any hints or glimpses as to where you think uh, either the story or the war bands might be headed um, coming up? Well, I'll, I'll say just real quick. I think in when Warcry first came out, I would have been like scoff at anyone and say, "Hey, is Warcry moving the story forward?" Because I like feel felt like it was just, "Hey, we're just a, this is just a way to play in a setting." Mm-hmm. Um, but it really felt like. Uh, Warcry was moving the story along with, um, you know, with the um, broken realms, Marathi. Yep, and the what is the the realmstone, Varen, Varenite. You know, like that really came into play uh, in this other stuff. So, um, I'll just say is like I think there could be room to sh- for for the story of Warcry over the next year to to be, help move the story along. So it's a real thing. That being yeah. said, what do you think? What do you guys think? some of those hints are um you know it, it really depends because we we know okay but uh, you know this next year from the release they're supposedly releasing a box set every quarter with two new war bands and some terrain right so it's like oh, okay that's a lot of new well unique um units war bands and they do indicate you know they, they share a map with these units or these unique factions on the map itself you know so i think you can well, do we do we assume that these are the, perhaps some of the releases coming forward, or is it going to be something unique and surprising? Because um, we've had maps before, they don't correlate to what comes out next. So it, it'll be really interesting to see if the map proves predictive in some of the factions that we end up getting or not. Did the map? So the map had a Nurgle icon on it, which makes you think the Rotmar, which we're going to talk about. Yes, yeah. So what? the yeah, the slough, you know, slough of Fen is where. The Rockmire Creek come from. Was there um, an icon you know. for the horns, though? No, because they find out about Talaxis by torturing oh, one yeah. of the Rockmire Creek. Sure. You know, so okay. they kind of get into that. Were there any icons then about the le- what are they? The Legionnaires, the, the third faction coming? Uh, no, you know, there's nothing about that mentioned yeah. at all. So I, but, you I, know, but with a tainted wound, it's like you could say, well, maybe there'll be a beast of chaos. You know, the the eater pits. Maybe we'll get ogres. Uh, canopy of starlight perhaps we'll get some cities of sigmar you know um you know the they talk about the the large mushroom there maybe we'll get some spider fang you know because they talk about it being inhabited by spiders and webs and you know so there's there's lots of potential based on what they've mentioned on the map but yeah you know that's that's all well and good but i think 
I think I know exactly what's going to happen. Oh, oh man, excellent. I can't. Just tell us. Go ahead. So, right now. So here's here's what's up. To this point, the the Seraphon haven't had much of a beef with the regular gods, right? The the gods of order, chaos, whatever. Like they're, I mean, they've had a beef, but they're sort of enacting their own plans. They're staying up in the void ships, etc. A the fact that one of their best void ships got taken down, even if it was like back in history, like time doesn't really matter that much. We're getting to know about it now, so it's important. Um, right. And B, like everyone's going to come in, like they're trying to recover this stuff. The Seraphon are trying to get back their stuff. And now that like the Pantheon's going to come in and try and take their things and uh, the and Nagash is going to try and t- take their things, I think it's going to be, and then, Nagash is throwing the realms out of whack. Alerial's throwing the realms out of whack. I think the gods are playing on too big of a level that the Seraphon are going to need to step in and like put some people in some corners. Uh, and so I think I think we're going to see something out of this where the Seraphon like step up and into the business and take some action. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. I, it does say that Lord Croak has been sending warbands there to try to figure out what happened and retrieve yeah. artifacts. Yeah, it's their stuff. Uh, yeah. and, and the Sylvaneth, I mean, the Sylvaneth are there, you know, they were uh, hit pretty hard by that there. Yeah, um, yeah. They lost lots of generations of, of people, apparently. But yeah. yeah. I want so. you guys to take this as the compliment that I intended. Uh, but both of you had, in your own ways, uh, your own version of hashtag Paul theories. And yep. um, if he couldn't be here with us, at least he's here in spirit. I would. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> he did share lots of theories with us. <laughs> <laughs> he, sh- he sure did. We should um, read all those for the listeners. <laughs> I, I, will, I will not. Uh, they are, are my private treasures. Um, my private. Uh, Paul theories <laughs> worth their weight in gold. We'll, we'll just share one that he thought maybe the Eye of Chotek was from the world that was, you know, perhaps it was a temple that came from the world that oh, was. Oh, and I, th- I think that's probably true, actually. And that it was yeah. Lord Croak's ship. Okay. So, furthermore, interesting. Um, so, uh, in, tra- in trying to think where, if there were, I don't believe there are any explicit hints as to, you know, future direction of the story per se, other than what Josh was talking about before, and that, like, we'll probably spend a bit more time here. And so I imagine there'll be more interesting things to spring up from Talaxis in the Narwood. So I think that's almost a, sh- a sure thing. But as far as what the warbands are going to be, my money is there's probably just going to be more different variations of the chaos warbands is, is what my guess is. Um, and I mean, three so far have been just that, which of course they're, well, we don't get, yeah, I'm hoping we'll get non chaos warbands as a, as a decent mix. I, in some ways, I agree with you, but like at this point, it's been so overwhelmingly chaos. I'm, I'd almost prefer to just stick with it. Then at this point, like if there was going to be like an equal mix of that sort of stuff, then I would be down for it. But like, it's is what is there? Well, but we're, we're out of one or something now. You know, so I mean, in, in the eight points, it made sense that it was primarily chaos. Well, here we're in Gur, right? You know, so there's lots of different factions in play. It makes sense to introduce some unique. No, I think they've done a good job of like. With the Lumineth, when the Lumineth came out, they came out with like a Warcry box for it. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that was a good move, and I think we'll see. I think we'll see more of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. Um, all right. Any final thoughts about the setting, um, the larger story before we shift gears entirely and talk about some of these new warbands? I guess this is. I mean, that's a pretty good segue. But is there any other thoughts you guys want to get out uh, before we transition? 
No, let's go to the war bands. Yeah, that was a, that was an accident, but what a good that's a good way to it's a good way to switch. Um, all right, so uh, listeners, you may or may not know, but with this new box set, there comes out two new uh, Warcry war bands: um, the Horns of Hashut and the Rottenmeyer Creed. Well, hey, if we're going to talk about the Horns of Hashut, let's let's start with a listener question from a Carrion. They ask: Do the Horns of Hashut lore hint of any information toward the return of the Chaos Dwarfs? Uh, and you'll yes. say, well, Return of the Chaos Dwarves. What does that mean? What are you talking about, Akarian? We're, we're here to talk about it right now. Um, I, heard it, I heard a resounding yes. Why do you say yes? And what is the connection between the Horns and Chaos Dwarven? Uh, there's several different references to the, the Horns of Hashut, um, you know, mortals being under the uh, wrath of the Chaos Dwarven and um, have no mercy, and that they're here to uh, turn everything into deserts and and desolation so that the industrial demonic engines of the uh, Chaos Warden can be built upon these and that they're running out of time because the Chaos Warden are coming to Thondia because Hashut has declared this area to be under attack and of vital interest. Yeah. Um, And and they go on to talk about the Hashut, the father of darkness. And uh, you know, his true nature and origins are a mystery, uh, except, they say, a mystery to all but his most loyal prophets. Um, then they, they uh, allude to him, Yeah, <laughs> sure. he, is he a true god at all, or is he just a demonic abomination? Uh, perhaps he came from the world that was, you know, so it's kind of interesting that they kind of allude Maybe to Maybe it's Belagor, Belagor, messing <laughs> yeah, around with Right, the right. It was yeah, the ancient along. demon prince, or you know what? But but it says, whatever the truth, Hashut's power is unquestionably on the rise. I wrote that quote down. In fact, right. that it, there's nothing. Uh, it's literally the word unquestionably is in there. There's nothing vague or uncertain nope. about that. Like exactly Hashut is on the rise. And so when it's the question on the rise, yeah. So yes. the question being, is this a hint to any information towards the return of the chaos dwarfs? I mean it. I can't read this as any other way as yes, they're d- definitively coming. And if they end up not coming, this was a lie. It's not, it wasn't, we weren't misinterpreting it. I think they, yeah. they must be. Um, it's just weird to me that I get that they have like human like representatives, I guess, or like underlings. It just doesn't make sense. Why would you, really. Yeah, but why wouldn't you just make these guys the chaos for? Because these are expendable. Yeah, but. Less they're fun. humans, so they're expendable. Less fun than a, ca- a cast or four man. But although that is the explanation they would give, Josh, and so you're right in that regard. But that's like a one degree separation. Like it's it's a thing that needs to be justified. Whereas you could just cut out the justification entirely and just make them Dwarden. Um, mm-hmm. But no, that's not not the way they went. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, you're 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 getting at the point. So the the question on the table then would could be who who are these folks then? And that is what they are. They are these expendable vanguard for vanguard forces of the Dwarden worshippers of the Dark God, the Father of Darkness. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they go they, they go out ahead of the the slow. I, I forget the word they use, but like the slow and plodding march of the of the Chaos Dwarden, uh, and they go prepare the way essentially, and they they clear cut. Uh, demolish, pulverize is a word they use, um, landscapes into this desolate wasteland so that uh, different, you know, factories and infernal engines can be set up and it prepared for the, the dark industry of these uh, chaos uh, dwarven. 
Um, I, I'd missed the second part of the, uh, Karen's question, actually, because they also had asked, is Heschet described as a representation of a major chaos god, like what we've seen with some of the other um, chaos no. warcry factions, no. or is it a thing of its, of, of its own? I think it's pretty clear that it's a thing of its own, though it, it's up for debate what that thing is, is my yeah. interpretation of it. Yep, um, yep. Is it a demon? Is it an actual god? Is it something else? Yeah, and no, I think that's up for debate still. So, yeah, yeah agreed. I was going to say, I do think it all um, suggests that we'll actually get, you know, Chaos Jordan in the next year or so. Yeah, I won't put a timeline on it, timeline on it, but I definitely think they're they're coming because it's it's both yeah. this talking about like the worshippers of Heshud, but yes, there's yeah. also all the Dwarden talk in some of the other books, just talking about how they they are aware of like the rise of some like chaotic brethren of theirs and like the fact that even the KO and the fire slayers are starting to join forces more and more. seems like it's a storytelling beat to prep for like having a, com like a combined front to fight off against, you know, a, a common enemy, which I imagine would be this chaos warden is my guess where that's well, going. You know, they talk about how, you know, they're on the way and Fondia is their target. So, you know, if AOS is hanging out in Gur for a while, that, that suggests that, okay, if we're going to be here for the next year or two, the Chaos Jordan are going to be here with us at some point. Yeah, because they're coming to Thondia. That's yeah. true, and they did call that out. Is like Thondia is is a target of theirs, and like right. if these ages in real life lasts, you know, at most two or so years. Then yeah, no, so maybe your prediction isn't too far off. Actually, that's a good point. Um, and actually, talking about places, they're coming to Thondia, but I wanted to ask this question about these two warbands. Um, where do they come from? Where do the horns of Hash come from? I don't know that it spends any time talking about that really. Not really. Yeah. So I wish I knew, but maybe now is not the time to talk about it because they're definitely they're... coming from a desert uh, waste uh, full of uh, machines, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Of, of yeah. their own making. <laughs> yeah. We can't they, say. they made the desert. Yeah. But they probably created it. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. They talk about the, the their masters conquering different empires in the moment, but it doesn't really say where. Mm -hmm. Wherever the mm -hmm. camera isn't. Basically. It's a lot of talk. <laughs> yeah, no, right. yeah, I totally have an army somewhere else conquering all sorts of fortune, but but they yeah, live yeah. in Canada though. So I don't you say that all the time. <laughs> we don't believe you. They have passports. Um, yeah, my, <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> my, my girlfriend's with them too, but she she's she's from Canada. Um, <laughs> that's why you've never met her. Uh, all right. So a question for you guys then um, is. Uh, I mean, I know there's not too many, you know, different units in these warbands, but there's some. Uh, were any of them your favorite? Did any of them jump out at you that you wanted to talk about in the Horns of Heshut range? Good question. Uh, I mean, I always look, I always look to the to the smallest uh, unit first to be like, okay, what are they? What's the what are the peons about? And these guys kind of have like almost like a um, a cloak around their shoulders. Uh, which is kind of cool. So it's, you know, a little bit of, you know, mostly fabric and leathers and that sort of thing and a little bit of metal. Um, but they, they do look like they have, like, implements for tearing down trees or, uh, you know, plowing uh, fields or, you know, that sort of stuff. So they do seem like they're here to just wreck stuff. So that's pretty cool. I, yeah. Uh, so I, I the, I'll, I'll, but just so I can get it before Josh does. Uh, there's a there's a demolisher with a flame hurler, uh, basically. Yeah. I don't know a bag full of hot lava, I, I, flame, yeah, yeah, and a pipe that comes out, and they just squeeze it with their arm, and you know, yep. hot magma. Uh, so that's really cool. That's a a new kind of thing for 
for Warcry. Yeah, yeah, definitely interesting. And and just to add to that, you know what what uh, Eric was touching on is some of those the the grunts of this particular warband. I've heard a variety of people mention that they look like the farmers of Age of Sigmar. You know, they've got the real down to earth mm-hmm. tools and and clothing of somebody you could just use to represent like these are the normal people in AOS. And they just got kind of roped into this sort of situation by their slave overlords. You know, so, yep. so it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so th- those are called the shatterers. And so those implements are, yep. aren't tools of construction, but are tools of destruction, even though one looks like a like a hoe. Um, still. Uh, so I was going to talk about the shatterers, too. So instead, I'll talk about the, um, well, I mean, the rest of the range. So there's the, 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 the mooks down below, but everyone else has these bull helmets ranged so from the ruinators and the demolishers and... I guess the Ruinator Alphas. And so all of them are wearing the bull helmets, which they had to craft themselves, which is... The Hashatar. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, it's noteworthy in that, like, their jobs are for the most part to destroy and not create, but they do create these these helmets, um, and they're put on their heads while they're scalding hot, and, like, uh, obviously, uh, to to put it mildly, it burns their face, um, and many don't survive the, the... the donning of these helmets but if you do you've got no you're imbued with like magical power because they're also blessed and um yeah yeah powerful artifacts yeah Yeah. and they give you um you know super strength amongst a bunch of other stuff so you can literally use them to like headbutt stuff um so all uh, across that range it's all um pretty impressive um and then i guess like just essentially that's uh, i think what ties a lot of the warband the rest of the warband together and has it sort of that unified view which i really i really dig yep a lot of horns on their back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, do you guys have any other horns of Peshut thoughts before we move on to the next one? Uh, no. No, I touched on them at all. Because here we go. Now we can talk about the Rotmeyer Creed. So uh, they are at odds against the horns of Peshut. But, but guys, who are they? Who? What? what how would you sum up this warband in, in terms of description? Um, who are we talking about? The, these guys are uh, touched... Uh, by Nurgle, uh, all over the place. Uh, and they are, uh, you know, rotting and sores and blisters. Um, uh, but they don't, they don't seem to, to make that connection. Uh, so there it's, you know, some of the war bands in, um, in Warcry worship kind of shadows of the main gods. Um, whereas these guys seem to be touched pretty directly by Nurgle. Um, but they, they don't know. They don't call them that, you know. Um, call them the Lord of Leeches. Lord of Leeches, and and these are they're crazy alchemists. So they have different concoctions, and um, they, they they deal in in different um, uh, ways to transfer those concoctions from blow darts to needles to uh, you know uh, you know putting the stuff on their blades. So uh, they're they're here to spread this stuff uh, knowingly. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's who they are. They live in the marsh. They're one with the marsh. They are, uh, you know, probably have all of those parasites living in them and they just want to share. Yeah. So generous, those guys. Well, in some, some ways, actually, historically, they are very generous. Um, and talking about the marsh, Eric, that's a great, then leads me to my next question is where do they come from? Uh, in fact, who's got thoughts on that? Uh, I can touch on that. So they, they come from a region kind of north of the Gnarlwood, um, the Skinslaw Fen, uh, which kind of you know, progresses a little bit further south. So you know, these these the Rotmeyer Creed were originally um, 
like doctors essentially um, in Excelsis, and they were working. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) working on this filter of immortality. They were trying to find a cure for all diseases to help people live forever. And Nurgle was offended, so he slowly began to corrupt them, and they uh, and kind of twist their efforts. And so they slowly began to test on unwilling subjects more and more. And when they were discovered, they were run out of Excelsis and into the swamps. And uh, Stormcast pursued them um, until too many of them died, and then they stopped. Um, and so they began to refine their theology within the swamps and and worship the Lord of Leeches in different ways and, and kind of develop this elixir of putrefaction, which they think will lead them to immortality. But their their leaders, the Wither Lords, will um, you know contain all the knowledge themselves, and they'll experiment on the others before they experiment on themselves. You know, and, and so they wear these stilts to stay out of the the disgusting um, filter of putrefaction that comes out of these corpse totems they develop. Um, you know, so they don't become infested before they want to. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy of situations where, yes, we we worship this and we're trying to purify ourselves and elevate ourselves, but I'm going to test it on you first. And then <laughs> I will test it on myself. <laughs> uh, that was pretty delightful. And so what brings them here, I suppose, is so they've been in the Rotmere, um, kicking it, lording over the, the marshes and, and perfecting their concoctions uh, when a um, uh, an expedition of, of uh, folks coming out of Excelsis um, Led their caravan into the Rotmere, and then they get ambushed by the uh, by the Rotmere Rotmire Creed, and um, they were you know destroyed, eliminated. But then the um, the prophecy shards that they had gotten from this uh, shard of malice from uh, Excelsis uh, remained, yeah. and their uh, I don't know their priests or their um, you know seers got a hold of those prophecy stones and started actually you know interpreting the prophecies. And what they saw was that they saw. Uh, essentially, the Narwood with, although they didn't know it at the time, they saw the terraforming effects of Talaxis down there. And they took that view or that, that prophecy as they interpreted it as a, a, a missive from their god, from their, their leech or Lord Leech. Um, to, and they interpreted it as, as it was something that they needed to go down and corrupt and take control over and bring in this um, utopia for, for their god, which is, I mean, very quintessentially a Nurgle thing to do, right? That's what essentially all the followers of Nurgle are doing. So it's one of those, they were given a quest, uh, a standard quest from Nurgle that they didn't, they didn't realize that it was, you know, uh, they aren't, weren't the first to hear something like this. So <laughs> what do they do? They head, they head on down. They try to breach or uh, make a headway into um, the the Gnarlwood. It's not as easy as it sounds, but they're, they're doing their best. And of course, while they're in the midst of the woods, they they butt heads up against the um, horns of Hushet, who are also have been sent to these woods, and in an attempt to terraform it itself, right? Um, so that they themselves were trying to like clear cut the forest, whereas um, the Rotmire Creed were there to sort of corrupt it. Um, each making an attempt to make it more desirable for their forces and for their cultures and for their for their gods. Mm-hmm. Water versus fire, as they kind of highlight in the book. Yeah, essentially, it's a great um, uh, yin and yang sort of balancing of elements, for sure. Um, it's around this time where, you know, uh, they, they uh, are obviously uh, different. They're aggressive towards each other. They're fighting battles <laughs> left and right. And eventually, the Horns of a Shit um, capture one of the Rottmeyer Creed dudes 
um, and get torture out of him. The fact that they know of this terraforming geomagic uh, magic um, from Talaxis and the horns who up until this point were making, weren't making much headway and sort of clear cutting this forest realized, well, maybe this is a tool that we could use instead. And so now both of these war bands have the same target. They both have the same goal as to get control of this power so that they can um, not through, through magical means um, change the landscape uh, in the way that they desire. Yeah. Associated to this, uh, I, I thought it was, it was funny from both sides to talk about stories about trying to corrupt or destroy the gnarl oaks, but they just move out of the way and they're like, Oh my God, we can't take care of these things. Yeah. You know, and the ones we do kill, they're replaced by the ones that are still living. So, you know, so I think from both sides, it was really funny to kind of see that like, Oh no, the gnarl looks, they get up and move <laughs> and then they'll come back later or they're just more of them keep coming so that you're always stuck in the same situation. They, they make like a tree and leave. <laughs> well, literally <laughs> make like a tree and eat you um, <laughs> and leave in you. Um, i thought it was interesting that their god that they call lord leech uh in the in the book um Mm -hmm. it but i i think leech i'm like well where do i hear hear leech in um age of sigmar and i what do you think of you think of festus the leech lord so we've got lord leech and there's festus the leech lord and i'm like well i mean obviously it's he's a nurgle follower this is all nurgle like wrapped up but like is he specifically having some play in this? I mean, like on behalf of Nurgle in some way, I'm not sure. I'd be interested to know if this was an intentional connection to this individual character or is it just all, is it all leeches all the time uh, with Nurgle? I guess I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like they were, they were building flesh totems in the shape of a greater demon of Nurgle. Um, Yeah, true. You know, so, but but yeah, it could be. I think it'd be cool to like have, I mean, like some of these were like, you know, um, the Mortarks have their followers, right? Right. Um, so if we're having to have Nurgle have some, you know, lower level things that kind of start to worship him, I think, you know, so these could be Festus's, you know, followers, people he's been feeding lies to, or maybe that was his project to, you know, yeah. to, to, to turn their, yeah, to turn their, um, their research uh, against them, you know, so yeah. that'd be cool. And they talk about, you know, how the Rottmeyer Creed are all like alchemists and apothecaries and stuff. And he himself, Festus, was an apothecary and um, he, you know, bore the respect of physicians and alchemists and scientists previously. But now he, you know, concocts um, yeah. diseases just, I mean, one-to-one comparison to the, the Rottmeyer Creed. Good correlation, man. Yeah. Good so I, think, I wonder. Um, well, maybe, maybe more to come. We talk about what, what might come in the future. Maybe this is some sort of connection that might, might materialize. Um, I'll ask you guys, do you have a favorite unit out of this, this whole bunch that you want to chat about? Um, I, I kind of like the with the Lord, the, the concept is interesting and he's got this big syringe, which he goes around injecting people with pestilence. <laughs> this is kind of cool. It's like, come here, come here. I've got all these diseases for you. Stick it. it, it. No, good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's really cool. And that, that helmet's really cool. Yeah, I was going to say, he's the, yeah, most, yeah, exactly. he's the most unique, so like his helmet's made out of reeds, which is cool. Um, he's the most unique looking dude, I think, out of this war. I mean, they're all pretty unique, but like he's really stands out and really quintessentially like sums up the, the summons of it's the stilts. Warband. Yeah, absolutely. Stands out. Okay, I get it. I get it. Stands um, heads above the rest. Loaded mm-hmm. ones are interesting, too, because they're kind of semi-worshipped by the rest hey, of the hey. warband. Hey. Sorry, sorry. You back off. Bloated ones are cool. Yeah. Because they're semi-worshipped by the rest. Dang it. <laughs> um, 
Well, what's cool about their aesthetic is they've got these uh, kind of like gauntlets with claws on them. Uh, so they're kind of little wolverines running through the, you know, uh, the swamp and coming up and just slashing and stabbing you. Uh, so that's, that's a really cool take on, on these as well, where they've got uh, sort of these, these bones and spurs as part of their, their weaponry. Um, whereas everyone else is sort of like makeshift, you know, sticks with um, claws at the end and that sort of thing where they've kind of hammered, hammered them together. Um, or, you know, a, a, there's more shields with these guys too, which is interesting. It helps them uh, make them a little bit tougher. So, um, but yeah, the bloated ones, they look pretty mean. A little Wolverine energy there. Yeah. Um, I like, uh, so I, I really dig the stilts aspect of it. And so like the Wither Lord has those, but then also the Kyrian catchers do too. So any of them that have the stilts, I think are, are super interesting. Um, however, the, the story behind the Kyrian catchers is, is fine. It's just that they go, they're the ones who go out and um, essentially like harvest flesh in any real form that they can find it in, whether it's beast or, you know, humanoid or what have you, and use that flesh to make the, it's what gets made into the totems and what gets thrown into the pools that um, they end up getting corrupted uh, through their Gross. diseases. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty gnarly. Natural. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, big on the stilts until, you know, I kind of read the, the lore behind it. I was like, Oh, the stilts are there not to necessarily stay out of the swamp, but to stay out of the pools of putrefaction that they're throwing these things into. And I was like, Oh, that's a whole different take on it. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, and then I, I guess not to, talk about all of them but too late we already started uh the, the Meyer folk outcasts are their lower level um like the the smaller dudes um but they're interesting because they are continuously sort of being driven out of like civilization because they've got these um like physical deformations um and in doing so which is a sign that you know they're corrupted in some way and so in some ways to prove the point they then leave and take to the marshes and then go try to uh join up with the rotmeyer creed so that they can develop poisons and diseases and stuff to like turn them around on the people that drove them away which yeah um sort of like those like uh you know leprosy uh communities where people you know they get driven out from their homes and then they have to live together and support each other. Only these guys kill others. Just, they take it one step farther. Um, but all the models in this range, with the exception of the Wither Lord, still have shown, show signs of like uh, plague um, from presumably Nurgle or what they call the Leech, uh, Lord Leech. Um, but the Wither Lord, like we had mentioned before, is the one that doesn't seem corrupted in any real physical way anyways. Yeah. Must be nice. Some bumps on his belly. Maybe some boils. Or maybe it's hidden. Ooh, or maybe it's internal corruption. Internal uh, festeringness. Yeah, of the spirit. Yeah, mm. of the soul. That might cover the Rotmeyer Creed, unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it's between fun. the two, I think I, I like the Rotmeyer Creed a little bit better. I like, you know, I think the aesthetic is a little different. Um, uh, keeps them in the marshes and that sort of stuff, which, uh, yeah, we haven't seen as much of that. More of an ambush mentality than, the, yeah. I think I like the range of the Rottmeyer Creed better, but I think the the story of the horns is maybe more important. Um, yeah, like more noteworthy personally. Yep. Um, all right, cool. Well, then with that being said, I'll I'll say, ask um, if you guys have any other just general points of interest. I know uh, Josh was saying he had a lot more a lot of notes to pull from. Were there any other topics that we didn't cover that you wanted to bring up and highlight? Uh, I guess one thing is just you know with the the huge list of different animals and plants and creatures that they list in here it would it would be really cool to get some additional 
uh, wandering monsters or something in one of these box sets that they're coming out with. You know, obviously Seraphon, Feral Seraphon will be uh, is definitely going to be an option, I'm sure. But uh, by getting some of these other unique types of creatures to have wandering through your games would be a, uh, would be a blast. Yeah, I think some it'd be great to have some skinks and other things as you know in rather than. Um, oh, what is it? The chaos chickens and the yeah, yeah, the furies and the yep. furies. Yep. Yeah, getting some like six-legged beasts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I'm surprised they didn't actually, considering they'd already set the precedent. I'm surprised they, did, especially if it's a new, um, new edition. I would have thought that maybe there would have been um, more wandering stuff, but eh. we will see. Can't win them all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other points of interest that we haven't talked about yet? Hmm. I guess I, I mean just reiterating, um, you know that this uh some of the rules here are different uh and some of the the way uh, campaigns work in the narwhals woods are a little bit different than they worked in the eight points uh and so i think that'll be a fun thing to embrace um you know like spending time in either spot and and there's um yeah i like the idea that we're moving to different locations and experiencing uh them differently yeah me too um, all right. Well, in that case, I'm going to transition to uh, just one or two more listener questions uh, that we haven't covered up above. Uh, another one from McCarrion. They ask, um, would you more likely live in the Narwood or in the Bloodwind Spoil? And I'll, I'll phrase it in a different way. Would you rather live in the Narwood or the Bloodwind Spoil? If you had to pick, which one would you live in? I mean, <laughs> it seems like the Bloodwind Spoil is easier to survive in. Maybe. Uh, there's more people there. Um, maybe. Um, yeah. But there's also like, I'm wondering if there's something you have to, in order to survive there, you have to become corrupted uh, by chaos. Uh, so maybe Narwood's a more honorable place to live. Quite possibly. Yeah. What do you think, you Josh? You live off the land and, and, and uh, fend for yourself, even though the it's land not lives easy. off of you. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. I think I would choose the Narwood over the, the Bloodman's Spoil myself. Oh man, I was. I, I think I'd pick the Blood One Spoil because at least I could go to bed. Like at least I'd be able to sleep mm. there. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's I don't know true. that I'd ever yeah. be able to sleep in the Nar- yeah. in the Narwood personally. Not yeah. sleep in the Narwood, right? But, sleep is important. But uh, that's that's food to food to think on. Um, Food for thought, I'm sorry, is actually how you say that. Uh, food for thought. Um, <laughs> the trees. All right, yeah. All right, so I think that brings us to, towards the end. The f- final thing we'll talk about then is we'll, we'll give a little review. We'll give a little highlight. What did you think of the story? And I'm going to couch it in this question from Neil Hearn, which is to say, um, are the Warband Tome, which is to say the Rotten Ruin book and the core book, are they worth buying for the fluff alone? So tell me what you thought about the books, but then also tell me, are they worth getting if you only wanted uh, the lore? Um, well, I think... Uh, you know, just going from a more logistical, practical perspective, uh, I think eventually you'll be able to get the core rulebook by itself. Uh, I don't think you'll be able to get the Rotten Ruin book without buying the box set. So um, if you are interested in the lore of why we're in the Narrowwood, why all the factions in the Narrowwood, the core rulebook covers that in detail and is definitely going to be a worthwhile purchase. Um, If you're playing either one of these new war bands, Definitely get the box set for the Rotten Ruin additionally because it has a lot of uh, some interesting, unique takes on each warband as well as unique quests and campaign arcs for those particular warbands. I echo that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is the correct answer, I believe. I mean, it's a subjective question, but yet that is the correct objective answer to that. Um, so then, and then I'll say, keep going. What did you think of, of the, the two books that we read from a, from a lore perspective? Uh, I enjoyed them both. Yeah, I, I think the, the core rule book added, um, I, I think it was really nice that it added a lot of information around why each particular faction was going to be interested in the Narlwood. Um, I think that, you know, because a lot of people are like, why would my warband leave you know, the A points to go to this random place. Um, so it did a great job describing that. And I think that was uh, uh, well done. Um, I, I think the additional lore they had in the Rotten Ruin book for the for the other war bands was very interesting and added a little bit more depth to those particular war bands and, the, and their particular rivalry and uh, their quests and the particular campaign arcs they have, I think are a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, Eric, what did, uh, what did you think uh, of this here, of, of this, these pair of books that we read from a lower perspective? Give me a, give me a little yeah. review. Yeah, I think, yeah, I really enjoyed that um, uh, they gave us a background on the setting. They dug us in deep. Um, you know, they blurbed us uh, like crazy. So we got a lot of little things to play off and think of. And I actually like that better for, you know, at, at least for a period of time, having them some of these things unanswered so we can make them up and let our imaginations run wild. Um, but I also really appreciated that they gave some voice to how any of the factions might, uh, what motivations they might have here. And I, they did that in um, some of the Tomo champions as well, when they brought in, you know, some of the other uh, war bands from AOS into uh, the eight points, right. It gave a little bit of life. It gave us purpose. It gave us a motivation. And I really enjoyed that. So um, I had fun with the book. Um, the I think the core book, especially with all the other stuff uh, that it has, is going to be a must-buy for Warcry. Um, but I think the lore is definitely worth it. Um, uh, it doesn't take long to read. It's it's chock full of of interesting things and very rewarding. Excellent. Um, I I might amend my initial uh, sort of unanimous. Uh, echoing of josh's assumption that the core book would be worth buying maybe for just the lore itself and I, you didn't explicitly say that but if the question on the table is that the core book book worth buying for just the lore if you were never going to play that game is it still worth getting the book and maybe i don't know that that's true maybe it's not i don't know that it is necessarily worth getting if you were never going to i mean it's it's if you're going to play the game at all you, it's a necessity but like if you were never going to roll a dice would you need it i don't know probably not actually i don't know that it gives you probably not especially if you listen to our podcast yeah especially if you just listen to literally all the things we just told you <laughs> then we just saved you however many bucks the book cost um sorry i'm just kidding gw i'm just joking well i think we've we've always covered the lore because sometimes when people are playing the games they only focus on the rules. Uh, right. right. And right. so we want to make sure that, you know, that they have another way of hearing all that stuff so that when they play the games, they have more more depth to their games. Providing a valuable service. Absolutely. Um, and as far as my review goes, oh, man, I'm kind of going to be the dissenting voice a little bit uh, in that. I think the problem with this is that I'm comparing this new setting and the new story and the new you know environment that we find ourselves i compare it to the war cry that came before and the war cry that came before was in my mind so picture perfect that it was almost impossible that this version was going to live up to it and so i know sometimes i suffer from not wanting to see change or i don't want to see patterns broken but this like breaks every pattern like, we have been breaking every pattern in Warcry, and every time they do it, it kills me a little bit. Um, and that I loved the the the, the version of all the war bands so coming from different realms. What a great 
balance. What a great picture that they painted there. What a great setup that they had. I love having it being in the Bloodwind Spoil, of being in the the eight points. Not because I cared about that setting per se, but it served as such a an opportunity to get a glimpse of a, of a place, but then had limitless potential to go such weird, wild directions. Like we were saying before that we'd only explored one piece of the pie, but there are so many pies left. And to that, I would ask, well, so I, I understand having new environments and it gives opportunity for new terrain and be, to be in new places, but like a forest full of trees that eat you, that could be and and definitively is in the eight points. We've read stories about those same types of forest eating people. Like that is a quintessential eight points type thing. We didn't need to leave to go to Ger to do that. It could have still been in the eight points and still serving that ongoing story. Um, and so I know a lot of people were excited that we left eight points and we, we were going to different places. I don't know that I was personally that I was one of them. I thought there were still plenty, an infinite number of stories that could be told there, especially because so much of uh, so much of Warcry is couched in that in that chaos. Um, like setting and so i can't blame them for moving i understand why they did it right because the cameras on gur in every other aspect essentially right from uh, just the, the way the stories are going and all these books that are coming out they want to have a unified front i understand why that the product makes sense for sure um but i wish they didn't have to i wish they could have kept doing the thing that they were doing so very well before um and so i it, this feels like a, a step down um, which bums me out to some degree if this book was taken by itself or like these stories were taken by itself where I knew that we were always jumping from realm to realm to realm and interesting places in those realms, I, I would probably care less or I, it wouldn't bother me as much. It's just, it, it had such a strong start um, and it seemed like a very clear direction going forward. And they just, they zigged when I didn't expect a zig or a zag. Um, but hey, that's what as you they do. They keep you on your toes. The only pattern they have is that there are no dang patterns. Um, <laughs> so I need to, I need to learn that. Um, well, hopefully one of the things they did really well coming out of the, the uh, first launch of Warcry's, they had some short stories uh, that we really enjoyed. So yeah, maybe we'll true. see some of those soon. And that could, could very well help as well. So I, I hope I hope to find more. If, if we're gonna if we're gonna be spending time here for a prolonged period of time, at least give me the stories for it. Um, yeah. yeah. Lord knows I'm not gonna make my own. <laughs> uh, how absurd is that? But um, just the, yeah. the final thought though is, however, if I could take this on, on its own without the context of the other Warcry, it is definitely it's good. It's definitely good enough, um, especially for this supplemental game. I think it gave me plenty of things to chew on. Um, it was never going to be earth shaking. It was never going to be, you know, groundbreaking. Um, but it's it's enough to get a glimpse of this small subset of a region that. We just recently learned about, and so I'm happy to keep learning about, you know, the weird and varied places of, of Fondia now. So it's it's definitely a supplement to, um, or supplemental to that Seasons of War Thondia book that we had just recently read. So, I mean, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. And it sounds like we'll keep getting more pieces of the puzzles we, you yeah, know, over the next season. Probably. And I like collecting pieces of puzzles, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> honestly, that's just, no, that's just how puzzles work. And you don't need to collect them, Aaron. They just come, like, all together. Uh, have you ever done a puzzle before? Anyways, uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, do you guys have any other final thoughts, or we can just close her out? I was going to say, uh, just in that quick uh, uh, Cliff's Notes, I'm a little uh, embarrassed for Nagash that it took him all through like the Age of Myth and Age of Chaos to come up with a big plan and uh, big magic to affect the realms. And Alaria just decided one day to do it when she got fed up. <laughs> That's such a good point that we've never talked about. But you're absolutely <laughs> correct. <laughs> it, it lasted a while, though. She's like, That's enough of this. <laughs> And just and just waves her hand and it's done. Like it just happens. Oh, you're right. Oh God. Sometimes you need an outsider's perspective. Not you're an outsider, but like you need fresh eyes on stuff like this to yeah, talk about yeah. it. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, Josh, you had uh, a thing you were going to say. 
I was just going to say that I think, um, you know, to, to your point about leaving the A points and, you know, there's so much unexplored potential there. Um, I agree. There's, there's so much I still want to learn about the A points. Uh, and I think a lot of people are on the fence because, you know, they say, okay, this, now we know that Warcry will exist outside of just the A points. That's awesome. But what does that mean? You know, so I think a lot of people are hoping to see war bands that are not chaos centric. Um, you know, unique war bands like, you know, the, the Shadow Stalkers, um, you know, from different different factions. And, and so hopefully we'll see that and they kind of like say, oh, yeah, we can we can continue to play in this space. And, and yes, while we're still exploring the the unique ways that chaos pervades, you know, the, the realms, we can also introduce some unique factions from normal factions and, and introduce them into Warcry like we haven't done in other systems yet. So I'm hoping we'll have that opportunity. Sure, I bet. And honestly, I bet they won't. The fact that they broke the seal with the Shadow Stalkers, I think, shows that they're willing and able. So I, I, I don't doubt that we'll see more. Um, cool. Uh, I'm going to close her out. Unless someone stops me. It's time for our reforging. Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Moral Realms. And Eric, where can they find you online? They can find me at uh, themortalrealms.com forward slash Discord. Excellent. Josh, where can they find you online? Uh, yeah, I'm also in the Discord quite a bit. You can also hit me at at J.E. Arrington, but also Eric and I are also at, at Dogs of Warcry and at Dogs of Warcry at gmail.com. Perfect. And I'm Aaron. You can find me at Dosesos on Twitter and you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. The end.